The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. It's very unfair to people who took other pathways in life that didn't require them to take out a lot of loans. I agree with this move, 100%. And those same individuals who voted to bail out the banks and supported that are now criticizing helping people in their critical needs. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. And I am pleading with the Republican Party to please start taking this issue seriously. Please. I don't want your vote. If you have that hate in your heart, keep it there. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House plays defense on student debt. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as divisions emerge over this plan among Democrats and Republicans. And the next step could be court. We'll talk about that with Lene Erickson, social policy expert at Third Way. The Department of Justice was just told to unseal the affidavit from the Mar-a-Lago search warrant they must do by noon tomorrow. Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson will join us a bit later with more on what we may learn and how unusual this actually is. Analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis here for the hour. The White House wanted to come out of the box today with a positive message. they got some music. This is actually sound from a rally this morning in Lafayette Square across the street from the White House, billed as a celebration among student activists. Sounds more like Jackson Square to me. A news release announcing this rally came out shortly after President Biden announced his plan to forgive debt. Listed the groups Move On, the NAACP National Education Association, Center for Popular Democracy, and Rise Free. No one else will tell you that today. And yes, they did promote the brass band in the news release. They started playing at 8.30 in the morning. Does the zoning allow that near the White House? The administration, though, has been besieged by questions about fairness, which Education Secretary Miguel Cordona addressed today on Bloomberg. You know, I've talked to folks who said, you know, yeah, I paid my college loan off, but if my neighbor goes into default, it's going to hurt my local economy. And what we're anticipating, what we were anticipating is that the number of defaults would be a lot higher um, if we didn't provide support. But questions also remain about the legality of this move. And for more on that, we're joined by Lene Erickson, Senior Vice President for Social Policy, Education and Politics at the group Third Way. Lene, welcome to Bloomberg. Thanks so much for having me. Much of the argument right now about this whole story is about fairness. That's what I keep hearing. But you're pointing to authority and whether the president actually has the power to do this on his own. Are we going to find out in court? I think we absolutely are going to find out in court. And, you know, we've been kind of back and forth on this in terms of the legal authorities. But the situation really changed over this summer. You know, the Trump administration and several other legal authorities have said that the president absolutely cannot just cancel student debt. That Congress did not give him um, the the chance to do that with the stroke of a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there have been others that have argued that, well, maybe this is within his executive authority. 
Um, but the Supreme Court came out with a decision in June that really changed the whole landscape um, that's going to really put this decision in jeopardy because when they struck down the climate rules in their EPA decision, they said that any actions that the executive takes that have major political or economic significance mm-hmm has to have a higher level of congressional authority. They have to be clearly articulated by Congress. This is the EPA ruling that that you're talking about. That's exactly right. So what happens... It's hard to see, you know, how broad-scale canceling student loan debt isn't a decision of political and economic significance. Yes. Okay, so let's assume it's going to court. Is there an injunction? What happens to this whole program, if I can call it that in the meantime? Does this pause everything? You know, I think what what we'll see is who sues and when and where. Um, you know, this is something that um, a lot of folks have talked about is who is going to have the right to sue here. And certainly um, there are potentially student loan servicers who um, do not want to cancel the student debt and yeah. would rather have it moved back. Um, they may have the ability to sue in court. Um, the folks that aren't actually eligible for this forgiveness, like someone who makes $126,000 a year. That person might be able to sue in court because the limit is 125000 and that wasn't really yeah. um, made up from anything except for what the administration decided. So they could say, you know, I was harmed by that. Um, but we also know that at least by January, um, the House of Representatives, if it's under Republican control, absolutely can sue to stop this. Can sue, if not write legislation, although we should also note this is executive order, which can always be reversed by the next executive. But let's pick through this a little bit for a moment, Lene, because there are different components here. You've got the loan forgiveness, which is what everyone's talking about. You've also got this 5% cap, 5% of one's discretionary income on loan repayments moving forward. That could potentially impact far more people and, of course, go on indefinitely. Could we find ourselves with a split ruling? Would they take these one-on-one or just throw out the whole thing and start over? I think most likely what will be challenged is the loan forgiveness pieces because there are people that feel that they've been harmed from that. Um, I think the income-based repayment pieces are really taking – we already have income-based repayment plans on the books. This is just making them more generous and making more people able to access them. So it costs money, um, but it's not, there's not necessarily someone who's actively harmed by that that yeah. might have standing in court to sue as there are under the, uh, under the forgiveness rules. And just to, to give you a sense of why um, you know, the House of Representatives might have standing, it's because they, they are saying this is actually Congress's job. This isn't the executive's job mm-hmm. to make these decisions. This is Congress's job, and um, and we don't want to um, we don't want you to do this. And so, you know, obviously, the Democratic House won't act in that way. But we could see in in January, um, you know, if, if Republicans take over them, them go in that direction. You can just imagine the hearings right now, can't you? <laughs> and I think the hearings will start soon. And you know, part of the announcement was that the application this is not automatic. Yeah. People are going to have to apply for it. Right. And the application process has not yet been decided and is going to take a while. And so they said they will have a form out by the end of the year for people to start applying. Um, but that means we've got a couple months before maybe people can even start filling out their paperwork, let alone having that paperwork be processed. The White House actually went out of its way to get ahead of conversations like the one we're having right now 
by laying out what it saw as the legal rationale here. And they, they pin it on the, the Department of Education, uh, suggesting that it has the right to do this. You used to work as a lawyer. You have a constitutional law background. What's your gut say on what you're hearing from the White House? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it actually um, it, it, it indicates that they're scared about a court decision because um, what they have been saying and what the, the advocates who have been pushing this and folks like Elizabeth Warren have been saying is that the reason that the executive could act was based in the Higher Education Act, which is a law um, Congress passed in the 1960s and has passed repeatedly since then, mm-hmm. updating it. And they said, well, there's a provision in there that says um, people can, the executive can compromise and settle um, different kinds of loans. And and that has to do with, you know, the contracts on different loan payment systems and things like that. Well, they had argued that that was enough um, for the president just to wipe away all student loans. But I think that the White House realized that that was not going to withstand scrutiny after this EPA decision. So they changed their legal analysis and instead said, oh, this is part of the pandemic. This is part of the mm-hmm. HEROES Act public emergency um, powers that were given to the department because of COVID. Um, and so that was a huge shift that no one expected and really surprised everyone yesterday. They didn't reference the Higher Education Act at all. In fact, the president invoked the impact of the pandemic in his remarks. You're right. That is the language that we're hearing, along with the fairness issue. Every time this comes up in front of the White House, whether it's the president yesterday or the press secretary today, the White House continues to point back to the Trump tax cuts to 2017 to say, hey, at least we're helping people here. And they're saying that it's paid for, which has its own argument that we don't need to get into now. Uh, But the talking points have evolved dramatically since this was first promised. They have. And I think that's because this is a super novel use of executive authority. No one a couple of years ago would have thought that the president would even try this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every everyone from uh, former general counsels of the education department to Speaker Nancy Pelosi have said uh, the president does not have the power to do this. Mm-hmm. So I think that you'll see folks who are opposed to this decision using those statements in court to say, look, this this is kind of a, a an extreme use of power that, that should not be tolerated by a single executive. Well, you're no stranger to politics, um, and I don't want to get you into a political argument here. But, you know, if you step back and consider what is likely to happen in the way that you're outlining it, that doesn't necessarily present a political problem for the White House, right? The president and his surrogates can still say in November, hey, we tried. We did this. We had it all mapped out for you. And you know what? The Republicans sued us to stop giving money back to people. And that's not a bad line to tell on the eve of an election. I think, that, I think that's their theory. But I got to tell you, I think they're they're forgetting two things. Mm-hmm. One is when you look at, say, you know, the Harvard Institute of Politics just had a poll of young people 18 to 25 they said their number one issue and priority was inflation. That was 10 times more young people said inflation was uh, their number one issue than the number of folks who said student debt was their number one issue. Hmm. And this has been um, said to be and predicted to be inflationary. And so I think, you know, (laughs) they're thinking this is going to be a great boon for young voters, but I just don't know that that's going to come to fruition. And then what about all those folks who never attended higher education. Democrats have really been hemorrhaging Hmm. support with non-college voters, non-college white voters, Latino voters, black voters. 
And what are they going to think about this? I think there's already a perception that the Democratic Party is focused on elites and doing what's good for elites. And seeing, you know, a lot of the um, talk about this on Twitter, this is this is really mostly going to impact um, people who have attended higher education and gotten yeah. a degree. Some people attended and didn't get a degree, but a lot of them have it. And, and they're actually set up to be OK in this economy. And a lot of other people aren't. It's pretty insightful if non-college working class voters in the suburbs decide the balance of power in Washington this November, this may not play well for Democrats. I think that's right. Lene Erickson, Senior VP for Social Policy, Education and Politics at Third Way. Really appreciate your insights, Lene. Come back and talk to us. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was just asked about this. What we have done is taken, uh, you know, taken uh, a look of our legal authority and how we can make this happen. And we we uh, uh, went with the HEROES Act and we feel pretty confident about that. Went with the HEROES Act. We'll assemble the panel next for their take. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano straight ahead on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headlines about the president's student loan forgiveness plan on the terminal say it all. If you just do a search, you can see where the narrative is going here. Student loan plan divides Democrats, New York Times, Bloomberg. Biden's student loan relief adds new wrinkle to inflation debate. It's hard to find a positive note here, as we just discussed with Lene. It's likely to go to court. Let's assemble the panel now. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors. We took a first dip into this as we had just come off the announcement this time yesterday. Jeannie, if this ends up in court, is it over? It very well could be. Uh, You know, I think your discussion uh, previously was so important because a huge question here is on the impact on the economy, the deficit, inflation. Another aspect is fairness. And then there's the legality issue and the question Mm -hmm. of separation of powers, as you laid out, and whether the president has the authority to do this, in fact. And as you have the Supreme Court laying out this major questions challenge in the previous term, it's going to come back. And the question's going to be who has the standing to sue on this but once it gets into court it will be debated and this power may be stripped and it was joe biden himself who said that and i was i was listening to your discussion i kept thinking you know when joe biden is joe biden the moderate joe biden that he's always been Hmm. he doesn't seem to get into this trouble but Hmm. when he goes too far down this progressive path he does and i'm concerned here that's what happened what are you thinking about this one, Rick? Did, did the White House know this was going to court? I mean, they had a preamble on the, the legal grounds because obviously they saw the question coming. Sure. I, I'm sure they, they saw the question coming. And I think that's why they chose to uh, embed this in the um, wording of the HEROES Act and not the Higher Education Act, because yep. I think they just assumed everybody was expecting an HEA uh, appeal. But I, but I would say um, the, the one thing you got to understand, though, is the Supreme Court does not like to accept uh, cases like this unless there is a real 
good in-standing person, and and that's what Jeannie's saying. I mean, uh, uh, the Virginia to law bring review, the case, Virginia Law Review did an analysis of this exact thing back in April, and mm-hmm. they said that the former borrowers, Congress, state governments, and loan servicers are outside the current standing doctrine of the Supreme Court. So if those people can't get standing to uh, appeal this case, who is? Boy, that's a that's a good one. I'll tell you what, uh, it's going to be an issue on the campaign trail. It, it's already started. Ron DeSantis seized on this and has been talking about it ever since. The governor of Florida, here's a taste. It's very unfair to people who took other pathways in life that didn't require them to take out a lot of loans. So maybe people that went into business immediately, people that went into trades, they made those decisions uh, to not have that debt. And now the debt's being put on them. And some have estimated it could represent about $2,000 per taxpayer when all is said and done with this. And so uh, it's very unfair you know, to have a truck driver have to pay back a loan from somebody that got like a PhD in gender studies. That's not fair. Big That's round. not right. Big round of applause on that one, Jeannie. We even got the gender whistle in that answer. And he's used that line before back in April, almost exactly word for word on this. Just knowing that this was going to be a juicy campaign issue. What's the Democratic answer? The Democratic answer should be to ask Governor DeSantis exactly what he has done to address the huge issue of college affordability in his state and across the country. And he can, you know, use these dog whistles on gender studies and everything else. But the reality is people who go to college are able to get more income throughout their lifetimes. And if that's the case, he should want that for everybody in the state of Florida and across the nation. If people can't afford it, that's what he should be telling us what he's going to do about that, not the these dog whistles about people who actually went. I agree with him. The fairness issue is enormously important, but he is not answering the big question, which is what would you do about the price of college today? He has no answer to that. Charlie Chris took a swing at it. Of course, he is the Democratic nominee now. Uh, he's running against Ron DeSantis, a little bit different than the, the approach that Jeannie just took. I agree with this move 100%. President Biden is leading so well. You know, the price of gas has gone down now 70 days in a row. Uh, he's just announced reducing the price of a college education. Everybody should be able to afford a college college education. Can <laughs> can you win the governorship in Florida talking like that, Rick? Well, I can't 100%. wait to see. I can't wait to see all the commercials that pose uh, Charlie Crist as a Republican and what he said then with what he's saying today. Uh, look, I mean, he's all in, right? I mean, like he's going to take the Democratic line all the way to the election day, and and this is a classic political case of picking winners and losers, right? The administration's decided, hey, we're going to kowtow to people with these these debts, and we're going to do exactly what we want to do. We're going to we're going to relieve them of the debt, and and we're going to give the Republicans a great political issue. But we think we're going to get more out of it, so it's worth the trade. That's well, yeah. Talk about this. It, it's it almost writes itself. Ron DeSantis again. He wants to have the average American foot the bill yep. for student loans for somebody who's making six figures and has a law degree or a medical degree. Of course, that's not what. That's what will happen on this. There's many other people who took out loans and paid them off. So don't you feel like a sucker now that Biden's That's coming to do That's the this? line, right? We can demonize people who went to college, I guess. And, you know, we're going to make fun of people with PhDs, which is ridiculous, Jeannie. But it comes down to, hey, I paid my loan. What's the problem with you? 
That's right. But we should also mention what you mentioned previously, which is that cap is incredibly important because yeah. it does help mitigate the, you know, it doesn't, in my mind, do it, do enough to address affordability. It's getting no coverage. I it, haven't heard anyone talk about it outside of this program. And that's the problem with the administration. They've got to be talking about that, not just the, you know, not forcing people to pay the 10000 Yeah. yeah. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis make our signature panel first swing of the fastest hour in politics. And we're going to turn to, hey, how about more court? Uh, they're unsealing the warrant tomorrow. Mar-a-Lago. Eric Larson, Bloomberg legal reporter, will be with us. Give us a sense of what we're going to learn. This is Bloomberg. President Biden was asked about the search on Mar-a-Lago just yesterday at a completely unrelated event. He was talking about the student loan forgiveness, in fact. And based on his answer, I'm guessing he doesn't know what's in this affidavit either. How much advance notice did you have of the FBI's plan to search Mar-a-Lago? I didn't have any advance notice. None. Zero. Not one single bit. Thank you. I wonder what he's learned since then. Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson among those going to be clicking refresh around noon tomorrow. I just wonder, maybe they'll drop this thing early. It's Friday, right? You know, just we, drop it early in the we, morning. Eric, what do you think? We were just talking about that, actually. We the, Noon tomorrow is the deadline, but the Justice Department really could file this at any time. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of clicking. You're doing a lot of clicking, and, and but I don't know if you're going to be doing a lot of reading, Eric. We understand that, that a lot of this will be redacted, uh, but then again, the judge has made clear uh, that, that it's still a worthy uh, move, better than at least keeping this sealed. Do you expect right. much to write about? You know, we're, we really don't, to be honest, but I'm happy to be surprised. You know, the judge did say that because of the historical significance of this search, he thought that if there was any details at all that could be made public without, you know, injuring the investigation, then they should be made public. So today, the Justice Department filed its proposed redactions earlier today. It was a pretty quick turnaround by the judge. He said, okay, Um, if if he made any of his own redactions, we we don't know that, but he ordered them to uh, go ahead and make the redacted version public tomorrow. Uh, no idea how much is going to be redacted, probably a significant amount because the judge said that they could protect the identities of witnesses, law right. enforcement agents, people who, ha- who haven't been charged and the scope and sources and methods of the investigation. So that's a lot. So that's everything. <laughs> I mean, what, what is outside <laughs> of that of that list? And uh, honestly, Eric. You know, that's a good question. I've thought about it. You know, this is just me thinking uh, potentially based on the redactions, we might at least still get a hint of perhaps how many witnesses there are. Um, you know, some idea of whether or not they're in Florida or D.C., um, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not there are some an, an informants. You know, we obviously we won't get the identity and they'll hide information that could lead to that person being identified. But if there is an informant, maybe we'll get a hint of that. And even like when they decided that uh, the search was warranted, we know that in June, uh, one of Trump's lawyers assured the Justice Department in the signed statement that there were no more classified records at Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. Clearly, something happened after that that uh, made the government believe otherwise. So maybe we'll get a hint about what that was. Should we believe that Donald Trump uh, has all of this in his hands? And anyway, we understand that he had the search warrant. Would that include the affidavit? Could he have released this at any time? I don't believe so. I don't think that he had the the affidavit. Um, And, you know, we have heard some folks say that the affidavit might not be really great for Trump. You know, if it really does spell out a a solid justification for He has asked for it to be released, though, right? To to be clear. He has. He has. To be clear, he has. 
Um, and, uh, you know, just some legal experts that I've spoken to over the, the last few weeks uh, question whether or not that, that really was a great idea. I mean, maybe he <laughs> didn't think that it would actually happen. Yeah. Uh, but the judge clearly is interested in some level of transparency here. Uh, we'll see how far that goes tomorrow. Eric Larson, Bloomberg Legal Reporter. We appreciate it as always, uh, Eric. Thank you for the insights. I want to hear from the panel on this just just for a moment. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, we've been following this since, of course, the search of Mar-a-Lago. What do you make of this, Rick? If we don't learn much tomorrow, that's all we're going to get between now and November. Yeah, I think this is a, a, a real sort of no-brainer. I mean, now that they've got the redactions accepted, uh, DOJ has gotten Trump to take the bait. I mean, Donald Trump, I think, walked into a trap on this one. So I wouldn't you do be surprised some to news see tomorrow. Him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Donald Trump trying to do a temporary restraining order on getting this out. Wow. I mean, wouldn't surprise me for him to backtrack on this. As um, opposed to a bunch of pages that are just blacked out in redaction. Well, they're going to be blacked out, but they, I guarantee you the, the parts that they didn't black out are probably critical of Donald Trump and his mm-hmm. uh, lack of uh, willingness to, to abide by the law. And, and, and I think that rationale probably will be spelled out loud and clear. Well, he, he did ask for it to be released, Jeannie. You guys be careful what you ask for. That's right. And, and, you know, I think the Justice Department here, by filing not for to have this be released and working hard on these redactions, has really called his bluff. Because to Rick's point, if there are signs that, that there are, you know, bad news for Donald Trump here, that is a real loser for him. And, of course, his attorneys have had a hard time responding and almost haven't responded to all, at all to much of this already. The language from Judge Bruce Reinhardt uh, The government met its burden of showing that its proposed redactions are narrowly tailored to serve the government's legitimate interest in the integrity of the ongoing investigation, but says they were the least onerous alternative to keeping the entire document sealed. Does that give us any sense, uh, Rick, of how valuable this might be? Uh, Yeah, I think... uh, I think that 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 is the indication that there's going to be some news around this, right? That that they'll, it'll occupy time tomorrow by people saying, "Holy smokes, you mm-hmm. know, this is a bad thing for Donald Trump." There, there's nothing bad in this release tomorrow of the Justice Department. Nobody will be able to criticize the Justice Department for saying, "Oh, they did this, you know, with no reasonable search." Okay. Um, uh, all that's, that's blacked though. out, and I think that the onus is going to fall back on Donald Trump, and it'll be really interesting to see the GOP reaction. All these guys that went out and stuck their neck out for Donald yeah, Trump, right. you know, calling it a raid and all yep. these awful things. Are they going to shut up or are they going to go on the offense? And that'll be, I think, what really is telling tomorrow. Boy, you know, there could be evidence in there, I suppose, Jeannie, but the Department of Justice didn't want this unsealed at all. And this is a, a pretty unusual move for an ongoing investigation. It is, and it sets quite a precedent, because while there won't be, to Rick's point, you know, revealing negative information about the Justice Department in the documents, certainly, the fact that they are now forced to disclose even a partial version of this is not only highly unusual, it reveals to the other side where they are headed in this investigation, something the Justice Department is loath to do. And of course, questions now, this is an unusual case involving a former president, but is there going to be pushed to release partial affidavits or full affidavits in other types of cases? This is not something something the Justice Department wants to set as a precedent. If the case isn't made clear, though, Rick, if the justification isn't laid out, DOJ is going to get crushed with Republican criticism. Yeah, but I think the leaks to date have already done that, right? How much have we learned as we've gone along here without this? Um, You know, we thought this was uh, six or 11 files that they picked up of top secret information or more. And now it's now it's 300 pages with 700 pages. I mean, (laughs) you know, so so I think we're going to learn some. I think that, that they already have them dead to rights on violence 
violating the, the, the rules handling this kind of documentation. So they, that'll just be laid out in black and white. Reminding us there is no such thing as a slow news week, not in this town, not anymore. August, cancel your vacations. But then again, that's why we have this program. Sound on. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. So it's the end of the road for the tailpipe in California. Well, at least we know when the road will end. Regulators in the state just today approving a plan to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered cars by the year 2035. Banned. They'll be required to run on either hydrogen or electricity. Governor Gavin Newsom talked about it with ABC News. This idea of a tailpipe? We don't need it anymore. That's freedom. This is about freedom. This is about real choice. This is about lowering costs, no more dependency. Freedom from the tailpipe. Let's reassemble the panel for their take on this. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, this, this is someone, Rick, who is uh, frequently referred to as a presidential hopeful, might be the future of the Democratic Party. Is he leading the way for the party agenda? Uh, yeah, he's cutting edge. I mean, this is uh, this is pretty far out there. When I was 16 years old, I thought a car with a tailpipe was my tailpipe was my freedom, <laughs> and uh, now I'm told it's not. So, uh, look, I mean, he's got an agenda. California is uh, obviously a lot more progressive on climate issues and environment than virtually any other state in the country. Uh, but uh, honest, honestly, they have led the country toward a greener future. So um, I think he's trying to put that mantle on his shoulders. And this is a good way to start. California, the incubator in this case, Jeannie, progressives have said for years, the only way to really get to this is to eliminate the internal combustion engine. He's he's actually doing it. He is. And it is a historic move. Um, you know, I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's, as we understand, the first ban of its kind in the world, not to mention the country. Yeah. And many people suggest to your incubator point that multiple states will follow in this direction. Boy. And so this. So what the could, heck are you going to do if you have a gas powered car? You have to stop at the border in certain states and, and, and call an Uber. They're going to allow for <laughs> they're going to allow for cars that are used. Um, and, you know, yes, I like <laughs> I, I like the free from the tailpipe. That was great, Joe. And uh, <laughs> that, that'll be the new bumper sticker. But I do think, you know, will. The, the, the impact on the car industry in this country is going to be enormous. And of course, California's economy is so large that it can have that kind of impact. And it's going to be curious to see what this does for Newsom as he tries potentially to vie for the presidency or at least the nomination on the Democratic side should Biden drop out in 2024. Right. If Gavin Newsom keeps going, Rick, maybe he gets Elon Musk to move back to California. California. Uh, He's got a lot more work to do to get Elon Musk back to California. But look, I mean, this is about buying new cars in 2035. So this isn't about the gas guzzlers that we have in our garages in California. They can still hit the road. They'll still be car Joe Biden can still drive his Corvette there. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But that being said, this is a movement, as Jeannie says. There are a lot of uh, uh, car uh, companies that are converting to 
to electric. Uh, they're redoing their balance sheets to afford uh, the conversion. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is a classic case of going where the puck is going, not where the puck is. Well, that's that's a great point, Jeannie. I mean, GM and Ford, uh, you know, put Tesla aside for a second. If you if you listen to the White House, the big three are fully invested in this. And by 2035, that's that's all they're going to be selling. Well, that's right. And and that's why, you know, this move is, you know, leading to a certain extent, but it's also following where the industry is going. It yeah. depends on how fast they get there. But let's also not forget how important this is in our fight uh, to, uh, against climate change. I mean, this is a, you know, the threat to all of us around the world. And it is good to see public officials and public institutions leading the way, whether you think this is the right move to make or not, something has got to be done. And so this is where he's trying trying to go. And he's got a lot of support on that, not just in the car manufacturing community, but with voters, particularly young people who are really concerned about this issue. Whether Gavin Newsom is the nominee for Democrats in 24 or four years after that, uh, Rick, is this the future of the Democratic platform? Does that need to be essentially on the ballot in 24? It will be on the ballot in 24. I think that um, part of what the uh, Biden administration's most recent uh, uh, congressional proposal putting enormous amount of money into climate uh, has done is is grab that headline into their administration into the Democratic uh, platform, and and the Republican opposition to it uh, put them on the defense. And so, absolutely, this is going to be something Democrats are going to have on the top of their agenda alongside of economic issues, just like they've done right before going into the midterms. Here, going to need a lot of charging stations. That is a big state. As we spend time with our panel, I have to ask you about this back and forth today. And it's not even a back and forth. It's just a fourth. Uh, Ron DeSantis, who we talked about earlier in the broadcast, the governor of Florida, just unleashing on Dr. Anthony Fauci, who reacted to this today on Bloomberg. I want to let you listen to what he said, both of you. It recalls recent conversations that we have had about politicians inciting violence without quite going that far, but it's it's pretty tough stuff. I mean, he kind of did go this far. This is Ron DeSantis on The Stump today talking about the outgoing White House chief medical advisor. You have people like Fauci saying that his lockdowns didn't cause any permanent damage to any young kids. I got news for you, it did, and we are going to reap those rewards across the whole country for years and years and years because they treated kids so poorly. And I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. Listen to the applause. Let it ride. Just love this stuff. A little elf who, of course, is, look, (laughs) I agree, whatever, think about He's he's given his life to public service. I think we can all agree on that. But to suggest he be thrown across the Potomac, uh, look, I don't want to be you know too sensitive about this here, but but it really adds to this narrative uh, that it might be okay, a genie, to take this out physically. That's right. I was remembering. Remember Michael Graham from the Great Island of Staten Island in New York when he threatened to throw a New York One reporter off the balcony? <laughs> and, you know, he was basically run out of Congress, not just as a result of that, but mm. the criticism was loud and enormous for that kind of threat. And now you see the change, and it's kind of this thuggery uh, that's going on and these sort of violent threats that, you know, it's not even been 10 years since the Michael Graham issue, and mm-hmm. you've got the governor of a major state, a potential 
nominee for president making these yeah. kind of comments about a public official. It, it, it's it's pretty depressing. And of course, all the reports were, you know, he is five seven, but Ron DeSantis is just five nine. So there's not that much difference between their heights. <laughs> a little elf. Uh, Rick, I don't know what was more disturbing there, the, the line or the reaction from the crowd. Yeah, at least it wasn't lock him up. I mean, that was uh, certainly something that Donald Trump liked Fair as enough. his mantra. Um, look, I, I, I do think part of what DeSantis has got to figure out, I mean, this is kind of an easy layup for him to be this kind of, uh, you know, demonizing of a of, of public servant like Fauci. But, mm-hmm. you know, part of what uh, kept Donald Trump from winning re-election, um, and, which is very unusual for a sitting president to, to not win, mm-hmm. was the people's fatigue with this kind of rhetoric. Uh, and so if he thinks he's going to sort of be different than Donald Trump, then he's got to curtail this kind of uh, conversation with the American people. Sure, gets the crowd fired up. They're going to yeah. really be entertained. Right. But, you know, he's going to need a lot more than that crowd he had today to get elected to anything in the future. And he's on a ballot this year in mm-hmm. Florida. And so whether or not this kind of act plays is going to be seen soon. Interesting you say that. Charlie Crist, uh, who we also heard from uh, briefly earlier this hour, uh, reacting to uh, the idea of, uh, well, just having received the nomination and asked about you, how do you convert these DeSantis voters? How do you bring DeSantis voters into the Democratic fold? His answer was remarkable. Those who support the governor should stay with him and vote for him, and I don't want your vote. Wow. If you have that hate in your heart, keep it there. I want the vote of the people of Florida who care about our state. Good Democrats, good independents, good Republicans. Is that a good strategy, Jeannie? I do not, I'm running for Governor, I do not want your vote. It's not one I would recommend, and and I'm curious to see if Rick Davis would have recommended his candidates. Yeah, to I'd that. like to hear. You know, but but I will say a big challenge for DeSantis is not only that in my mind he's got to win, you know, beat Christ. He's got to beat him pretty handily if he wants to show that he can win nationally. And I think it's going to be an uphill battle because he did not win that handily last time around. Uh, Rick, should uh, Charlie Christ not welcome? DeSantis supporters, Big Ten, something like that? You know, it's, it's not a shock to me that that he would sort of lay down the gauntlet. Um, you know, most of the, uh, I would say virtually every DeSantis voter is highly unlikely, if not absolutely will not support Charlie Crist, right? Yeah, so yeah. if you already think DeSantis so is a good governor, you're not going to vote for Charlie Crist. But, and, and DeSantis has about a 50% approval rating. But I would say that's come down from almost 60 percent just a few months ago. So mm-hmm. um, he, this is a way to divide the House. This is a way to create a clear distinction between who you're for. Uh, and he's playing. So there the is fact- a method here. There is a strategy. Here. Absolutely. I, I think this is clear. You know, divide the House and start putting pressure on the people who are soft uh, on DeSantis to come yeah. over to the Chris side. Did you guys see the Top Gun ad? Or the, should I say the Top Gov, Gov. ad? This is uh, Ron DeSantis. Again, well, I mean, I guess he's running for office, but peculiar that they put this ad together where he's like, the, he's, t- he's Tom Cruise. He's dressed up as a fighter pilot. He's Maverick. He's walking out of the hangar. Let's see if the F-14's going over. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your governor speaking. Today's training evolution, dogfighting, oh. taking on the corporate media. All right. The rules of engagement are as follows. Number one, don't fire unless fired upon. When the- they fire... You fire back with overwhelming force. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill. And you see him facing off with reporters and he's knocking them down and telling them where it's at and pointing. But he's wearing the helmet, Jeannie. 
And I'm seeing everywhere on Twitter comparisons Ron DeSantis now and Michael Dukakis in the tank. Is that a win or a loss? It's a loss if that's the comparison, I think. <laughs> Rick, would you ever put a candidate in a helmet after what we saw with the la- Mike DeCox? The Dukakis? last candidate I had wore a helmet in Vietnam, and that was the best thing that ever happened to him. And An actual fighter better, pilot. Better be careful appropriating those kinds of symbols. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.